Hello and welcome to Oops, I Talk Politics, a left-wing political podcast where we talk about politics. I'm your interim host, Daryl. I'm your interim and always co-host, Sly. And I'm Phil. <laughs> and uh, as many of you know, Ryan's still out on his honeymoon. No, we kicked him out. We were like, yeah, you gone. know what? You're not aligning with our political beliefs. We're changing the court size. Yeah, this is a three-person <laughs> podcast <true>. now. <laughs> yeah, we had a, yeah. a filibuster. We filibustered Ryan's choice of himself. And we're going to uh, wait until his term expired, and then we're going to pick somebody else. Or just yeah. or just not. Maybe this will be a three-person show now. Yeah, maybe. Because you can actually yeah. change the size of a podcast uh, host network. So. Uh, I still want it to be like a 10-person show, because that's more people equals like better, right? Yeah. More- oh, yeah. More people that agree with me on the podcast, <laughs> the more I can yell at Sly. Success. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to duplicate like one of us multiple times over. Yeah, nine Daryls. Hi, 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 Anyway, what we're talking about today is the Supreme Court. And since Brett Kavanaugh got confirmed a while ago, we should have done this podcast a while ago. He was like, it was like last week, wasn't it? Two weeks ago? Yeah, it feels like five years ago, but it was only like two weeks ago. It's why we do this because I don't want our only episode on Brett Kavanaugh to be like, oh, he's not a bad choice. Because that was what we talked about last time. Like, oh, maybe he's not that bad. And then Did we? We were talking about like, oh, maybe he won't. Maybe he doesn't want to impeach Trump because he's being principled or whatever. I don't remember us talking about him being like that. I feel like we were a lot softer than him than a lot of people were at the time. But Yeah, I kind of remember that because I remember looking at his publishings and being like, He's not the worst. Yeah, choice. like no matter how, no matter how, yeah. how, how hard or soft we were, uh, it would still be weird for anyone in the future to go listen to our Brett Kavanaugh episode and not have us mention his sexual assaults and stuff like that. Yeah, that's true. This, this is before we knew of that. We were just debating his policy stuff. Yeah, yeah that's before any of the hearings, like before him just lying constantly about small stuff came out, yeah. like boofing. <laughs> <laughs> so... We should have an episode on boofing, actually. Screw this Supreme Court thing. You mean farting, right? That refers to flatulence. This <laughs> is a more interesting episode because we're going to talk about what us as Democrats should do in the far-flung future of 2020 if we ever get the chance to take back the house the senate and the white house Never. and should we pack the courts with more liberal justices like should we raise the number to like 50 so that way it's like nice uh <laughs> yeah so it's 45 no 44 to 6 40 no 40 whatever, whatever. <laughs> edit this out flatulence so yeah that's the question is do we do something like that and before we get around to answering that question we first need to talk about that this would not be the first time that we change the Supreme Court, like how many seats are yeah. there. So if you read the Constitution, which I'm sure all our listeners have. Done, all Americans do, right? All Americans yeah. should. Uh, if you read Article 3 of the Constitution, it's pretty vague. Uh, it begins with four score and like seven years ago, we hate British tea taxes. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm triggered. <laughs> um, Article 3 is what, set, what talks about the court system, the judicial branch of the federal government. And it's pretty vague. It's like, I'm paraphrasing here, but it's like, the judicial branch shall be courts and Congress will, like, advise and nom- and uh, place... Let me just look it up real quick. I th- doesn't it just uh, establish that there will be a, a court, court system? Basically, yeah, it's like, th- there's going to be court. It doesn't elaborate anything about it. There's like, going to be court. There's going to be a court system. A federal... Well, what the difference there is that most courts in history, especially since American law is based on English common law, courts were generally a pretty local thing. Even in the in the colonies, it was like courts are generally a locally run thing. And this was setting up a federal court system. So they said there's going to be federal courts. That's it. Do with that as you will. And, so. and even back then, uh, Supreme Court members only met like two months out of the year and spent most of the time in uh, circuit courts anyway. Yep. And in fact, it doesn't even establish what kind of power they specifically have. And I think I've probably mentioned this on past episodes. But really what gave the Supreme Court its power of judicial review to strike down unconstitutional rulings was uh, their very first case, Marbury v. Madison, where they gave themselves that power to do that. Yeah, <laughs> that was the precedent. That That's one of the best ways to get power is to give yourself it. Yeah, and people are like, okay, so... It doesn't actually establish how many members there are in the Supreme Court. And that's kind of the crux of this argument here is that there's no actual constitutional thing saying how many there should be. In the very early days of America, there was like six, and then it went down to five, and then back up to six. And then as we started to add states to the union, the idea was, well, we need, you know, we're having, we're adding more judicial circuits, so we need to have different, a different amount of court members. And then the Civil War happens, and 
Lincoln added it up to or added another member up to ten eventually because he was afraid that people would strike down his pr- pretty much illegal wartime decisions. Like, you know, suspending trial by jury, censoring the press, and those things that we don't like. Mm. And during Reconstruction, which was very contentious, it went down to eight. And then since 1869, with U.S. Grant, it has been nine. And it's been like that for the past 150, 149 years. So, it's happened before, and often it was for political reasons, like... The reason it went from six to five was because <laughs> the, the Federalist Party, before when Jefferson got elected, was like, we don't want to have uh, Federalists out of the Supreme Court, so let's just not replace this person. Yeah, I love that. It's like they made it go to five, and they're just like, when this guy dies like that or leaves, that's it. Like that's it's, it. It's at five. That, yeah. And then it, as soon as Jefferson gets in, he's like, no, repeal this law. Like, this yep. is garbage. We're up to six. Um and even, even the, the Civil War changes were political, right? It's like Lincoln's like, I don't want my stuff to get struck yeah. down, so I'm going to add another member. And then the Reconstruction era Republican Congress, uh, who fucking hated Andrew Johnson, were like, you're not allowed to fill any vacancies, so we're not, we're not uh, um, <laughs> confirming anyone. That's, that's, interesting. that's so interesting because uh, even now, like, uh, even all the stuff I've been reading, I was, I was saying right before we started... Like, oh, the only political court packing was during FDR, right? And feels like, no, they, were, they pretty much all were political. And, like, that's not common, mm-hmm. like, even, like, among liberals, that's not common. Knowledge. The reason it's it's not talked about much, I think, is because it's, it's first of all, from 150-plus years ago only. And because the times we're talking about were, I think, I would argue, more divisive and crazy than today. Like, Civil War is pretty crazy. A lot of shit happens that would not fly in normal circumstances. But like, but, again, the, but like uh, FDR's court packing, you're taught, you're always taught even in elementary school. It's funny how that's the only one that gets brought up ever. Yeah, I feel like that one's also a bit different because he tried to add five justices. Yeah, at right? once instead of a, which which was like way different than just like one up when one you, down. Yeah, when the president's leaving, that's like let's just knock it down by one. Right, and that's what it was in the past. It was always an up and down by one, and then when FDR uh, was angry that people were striking down his bits and pieces of the new deal yeah he was like i'll add six justices and then i'll always win (laughs) (laughs) that's true the boldness of it is one of the reasons why it's uh, so noteworthy definitely definitely it's not even he wasn't even trying to do like like daryl said a a very quiet like down to one up or down one up one at the end of a presidency he's like while i'm president i'm gonna add uh, literally two-thirds i'm gonna Mm -hmm. put 60 percent more judges on the supreme court which a lot of the other like uh, cases that I've read about in Poland and Venezuela and Argentina, like when you have people trying to ensure their own power, that's what they do is they add like over four or five people to yep. really make sure that they have the majority. Yeah, and that's we'll, we'll talk about that more later when we talk about the the merits and uh, mm-hmm. cons of how that affects legitimacy and stuff like that. Um, But yeah, that's kind of just some background on the size of the Supreme Court is not set anywhere in the Constitution. It traditionally has been nine since 1869. But before that, it bounced around between... It's gone from five to ten. Yeah, right. True. And other countries have more than us usually. Yeah. Which is which is important. It's part part of the court packing question because the less people you have, the more power you give to each individual member. That is true. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I'm probably obviously going to be not in favor of court packing. I'll just say that now. But uh, I do see the merits of having a bigger Supreme Court. I'm going to shock, Phil. I kind of agree with you. Really? Yes. We need Ryan here to voice. Well, actually, uh, spoilers. Ryan messaged us that he doesn't know which way he'd go no, either. He's, he would, if, we, if we were saying no, he'd be like, guys, we're, we should pack the court to 100 people. <laughs> After doing like a lot of reading on it, I think I'm uh, like a tentative yes. But it's mainly because I want blood. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, like, it's I, just because I have one part. I just want the blood. That's all I want. Yeah, I just, I just want the the conservative tears, if you will. We're talking about FDR packing the courts. Why was he trying to do that? What triggered him? <laughs> oh, oh yeah, sorry. That's, yeah. I, mean, I, 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 was, I, sorry. I thought you were going to take more FDR stuff. Okay, just, I think most people know from elementary school, he tried to pack the courts, uh, fudge pack the courts. Uh, most people would know that, but I forgot that. That's one of the few things I remember from FDR was he was good. Uh, he passed all the social reforms, New Deal, and he tried to pack the courts in World War II. Like, that's all I uh, remember from when I was a kid. Yeah. But the reason why uh, FDR was trying to pack the courts is because the uh, Supreme Court kept overturning his stuff. And that's because uh, FDR and FDR's uh, sentencing ended uh, for the courts what was known as the Lochner era. That was a very conservative and infamously uh, judicially activist uh, era of the Supreme Court. 
So what I mean is, by 1897 to 1937, they would uh, be politically active, but for conservative policies. They would strike down state regulations and federal regulations that try to inhibit businesses or limit the free market, including laws on minimum wage, uh, child labor laws, uh, regulations of banking, insurance. It's worth uh, interjecting here real quick, I think, that for those who think about court stuff, I guess, this judicial activism is this idea that the court is going to actively go and try to strike down laws where you have... Judicial restraint is this other policy that they rarely will rule on things unless they feel like it's it's like really unconstitutional. Yeah, yeah. And generally and speaking, when we think of it, the conservatives are the more judicially restrained ones because they're like it's it's not the government's place to be going around uh, striking down laws. That's the bullshit that people perpetuate. But like a lot of modern conservative judges are this type. Yeah, I agree. Judicially activists for conservative policies. And yeah. like, like Grand Paul says, this is the, this, the, this, the lock and arrow is the, the hot shit. Like, this is the arrow we should go back to. And like, it's very clear. <laughs> cool. Rand Paul approves. Yeah. It's, it's very clear. Uh, like Scalia and uh, a lot of the modern uh, justices, they, uh, they adhere to this philosophy. Like, they, they will uh, extrapolate bullshit out of nowhere just to support a more poor business free market mm-hmm. plan. Which I feel like, like Kavanaugh smacks of that. Yes. Like, he will definitely yeah. do so stuff in, course, like this. Of course, like, too. Like, was it? Kavanaugh voted against that SeaWorld, like, uh, let their employees die, I think. And, like, Gorsuch uh, voted that truckers are, uh, uh, are, are allowed to freeze to, uh, to death if, like, their employers demand them to. Like, or you're allowed to fire people if they decide to, not freeze to, death. to do not stuff that. not to freeze to death. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the reason why it was called Lochner was because Joseph Lochner, who owned Lochner's home bakery in Utica, claimed that New York's Legislators Bake Shop Act of 1895 was unconstitutional. It regulated health conditions in bakeries and prohibited employees from working in bakeries for more than 10 hours per day or 60 hours per week. Man, what is with bakeries always getting up to the Supreme Court? <laughs> yeah, People, bread is a big thing. That is true. It's one of those things you take for granted. Phil, you don't need to tell me about bread, okay? Uh, I'm just saying, like, if you look at fucking human history in general, bread... <laughs> <laughs> is like at the center of a lot of stuff because it's 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 the food that most people eat. People eat grains, you know. It's cheap. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's just funny. It's just one of the, it's like one of the other things you take it for granted, but it is a huge process behind it that we are sheltered from for most of our life, and and it comes up in weird ways in our society. <laughs> uh, so uh, Lochner was a violation of this law, and uh, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of Lochner, saying yes, you can, uh, minimum hours should be gone. So, uh, yeah, so that's what Rand Paul wants. He wants you to work at least 60 hours per day, per week, mm-hmm. even longer, just for your whole life. That's your the, job. I mean, it's the true capitalist utopia. Yes. It's the idea that, like, uh, the government should be telling business how to run it. If you don't want to work there, don't work there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, if they if, yeah. if, if 10 hours a week so is too much. One, one business will, like, let you work, like, two hours. Don't worry. And then yeah. you go to them, and then they succeed. And, and, yeah. and it's important to note that this is when I, uh, 1886 is when the idea of corporate personhood became a thing. That the actual uh, persons joining corporation are granted equal protection under law. And that was, ju- mm. that was from Santa Clara County versus South Pacific Railroad. And it's worth noting that the 14th Amendment is used to back up these, a lot of these claims. And the 14th Amendment, uh, as a universal rule, has been used more to protect corporations than it has been to protect black people. Uh, hmm. Very important to note. Hmm. for civil rights in general. Civil rights in general are more to protect rich people from poor people than to protect minorities from the majority. Hmm. That's, that's, and it's, it's, like, it's a good thing they exist, but it's one thing to note that that's a downside of them, is they are to protect the inherent minority, which are the rich. And I often wonder, too, though, like if you're saying it's been used more to protect the corporations, like how, I bet there are way more cases where corporations took the government to court versus yes exactly uh, yeah, that, that's that, that, that's an exploit i keep using all the time that's yep. that's why i'm bringing it up uh, it's also worth noting that the late 19th century that slides talking about this era is during slash right after the american industrial revolution yes where um the rise of factories and railroads in the country the rise of unions for the first time and, monopolies yep and this is where we get some of the first big union strikes like um, the Homestead Strike, the Great Railroad Strike. This is all around the same era. And generally speaking, during this time, the government sided with the businesses, um, especially because these workers that were unionizing and striking were, generally speaking, in like the railroad industry and industries like that, that was seen as like vital to the, the nation's like survival. Like, like expansion? Yes. Yeah. Not just expansion. Like if the railroad stopped, nothing happens because everything is done by railroad. So it was the mm. government would literally send in. Uh, National Guard or sometimes the army when the National Guard wouldn't shoot their own people from their state in the case of I think the Great Railroad Strike one of those yes but like uh, like always everything has two sides to it but for most time this is part of what they call the Gilded Age yep which was when those serious social prog- problems in their society masked by thin gold gilding and this is when equality started growing in America which uh, eventually culminated in the Great Depression 
So uh, it's kind of like uh, people say uh, the the current Supreme Court is trying to bring the new the new Lochner era and like the Republicans in general are trying to bring back the Gilded Age, uh, where everything you have you have like this very American upper class image we like portray, but in reality inequalities at an all time high. That is at an all time high. The actual like the stock market's going up, but actual real indicators of the economy like unemployment and wages are low. So it's, it's exact same kind of shit like that, and and, and like always, there are, there are uh, concerns like uh, unionizations uh, affecting vital industries. But for most part, those are used as edge cases to justify expanding corporate power. Oh yeah, I wasn't trying to justify the government using troops on unions. Yeah. Like uh, in reality, if if it's such a vital industry, the government should have come in and made like the companies not cut their wages and stuff. Yes. Surprisingly, the answer to all these problems is always to support the company over the workers and, and force the uh, company side over. Yeah, them. I was just trying to give context that this era, when the Supreme Court was doing this, yeah. the, it was generally the trend of the government at this yes. time. To There was a huge uh, labor versus business fight happening in these 30, 40 years, and almost always the business was had the support of the government. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so another law they struck down was Adair v. United States. It struck down the federal law, making it illegal to fire employees for being in a union. So if you're in a union, they can fire you and get, get the fuck out of here. Another one is Adkins v. Children's Hospital. It struck down a DC minimum wage law for women and children that are working. So women and children can't get minimum wage, eat shit. Uh, one thing that's funny, it's called Adkins v. Children's Hospital. Uh, but it makes you think like Adkins is a piece of shit. But Adkins was the guy trying to get the minimum wage and Children's Hospital was, like, oh. was the company trying to prevent the minimum wage. Yeah, the Children's Hospital was the piece of shit. Yeah, but, but uh, I can't imagine that looking good for him to have him versus uh, Children's yeah, Hospital. Yeah, Children's Hospital. <laughs> yeah, so more laws that were solidified in this was... Uh, the right to freely make contracts was in, was as inherent a right as liberty and property. That stipulation was introduced in Algier v. Louisiana. Uh, so it's a very conservative era of the judiciary. And FDR came in and he overhauled uh, government in a lot of ways with the New Deal. And you have like the most conservative Supreme Court we've ever had on like uh, uh, officially. Like uh, John Roberts on the Supreme Court said like this uh, this this Supreme Court was was too judiciously active for it was bad Supreme Court. Like even modern conservatives on paper say this is a bad Supreme Court, except for now Rand Paul saying it's good of course. Uh so when FDR came in he never really started butting heads with this um Supreme Court, like, uh, he p- created the uh, Railroad uh, Retirement Act in 1934, which is a test, a beta test for Social Security, uh, which basically gave pensions to railroad operators as, and was basically to encourage them to retire and open up new jobs for young uh, railroad operators, giving them, uh, giving, letting the old people, uh, uh, you know, retirement and letting the young people move in to take their jobs. And Supreme Court mm-hmm. said, no. Fuck you, because uh, FDR said it's not safe to have old people running these trains, and they're like, no, fuck you. Does have anything to do with safety, FDR? It's ageist, yeah. FDR. Yeah. <laughs> and so another one was uh, Louisville Joint Stock a Land Bank v. Radford. It was cut part of uh, the Frazier Lemke uh, Farm Bankruptcy Act, which decided to give aid to farmers, allowing them to require farms they lost from foreclosure, or to petition the bankruptcy court uh, to suspend foreclosure proceedings. And Supreme Court is like, no, fuck you. You can't side with the people over the banks or foreclosures. Each shit's FDR. Uh, banks get what they want. And then the, the big one was National Industrial Recovery Act, uh, which was uh, a big overhaul, uh, intended big overhaul of the economy. It was uh, increased unionization, uh, have some price controls, direct regulation of markets. It was basically a big overhaul of the economy, but it became incredibly popular businesses. So eventually Supreme Court sh- struck it down. Uh, I was reading like uh, cons against this, and the only con that made sense was it uh, supposedly promoted uh, monopolization. The other cons are stuff that it promoted unionization. What a terrible thing! And the other thing is, <laughs> businesses didn't like it. Well, of course, it's had to go away because businesses didn't like it. <laughs> so the judges that, that ruled against FDR were called the Four Horsemen, and they always ruled like they're like just the four bedrock votes, and there was one flip vote at the time. Owen Roberts and the great grandfather of John Roberts. Oh, really? No, no uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised because fuck. I thought it was funny, but it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> it will be funny in a sad way if, if, if it were true. Um, yeah. So uh, FDR was like, fuck the Supreme Court. I'm sick of this shit. Uh, keep overturning my shit. So I'm going to expand the Supreme Court to as many as 15 judges. And he said to make it more efficient. And everyone said, you're, you're packing the court. So the idea behind this was to provide retirement at full pay for all members of the court over 70. So one thing that's important that this introduced is that people, uh, people just stop by the court packing. 
and the fact that, the, the fact that this was introduced in age uh, limits for the Supreme Court at age seventy. All the people that were on the court were over age seventy. They, they were like, "Now, what if you? They were like, you will take my court, court seat by my cold dead hands, you motherfuckers. I'm going mm-hmm. to rule and stop these fucking labor laws as well as, until I die." And so, uh, FDR would have passed by retirement, full pay for them. And if Justice refused to retire, a system with full voting rights was to be appointed, thus ensuring Roosevelt a liberal majority. And so people were even like, it's never had a majority uh, uh, support among the public and Congress eventually struck it down. And people look at this and like, oh, what a bad thing. It, it's, it's just pure bad. Nothing good came of it. But during the process of it passing, Owen Roberts flipped on the minimum, a minimum wage Supreme Court ruling, allowing for them to, there to be a minimum wage. And that June, uh, one of the four horsemen retired. And by the end of his term, FDR ended up appointing three nominations. So people are like, oh, it was bad. But a lot of people uh, claim that uh, by showing the Supreme Court they're not like this immortal, untouchable entities that can't be overturned by another power, that it made them check themselves before they wreck themselves. And <laughs> Did he only get three? I thought by the time it... He got elected four times. I'm pretty sure he got like nine. Maybe, that, maybe, that, was, maybe that was the first term. Maybe was the first yeah, term. I think so. I think because he was just fucking president forever. I think he just got yeah, so like I, a lot I think, of judges. Yeah, I think by, by the end of his first, uh, first term. I, I, and they called the Orrin Roberts flip, flip uh, the switch in time that saved nine because it saved the nine justices from being a thing because it, it, the whole thing with FDR introduced the idea that this, this whole thing was set up like Phil said, not because of the constitution but because of uh, random arbitrary rules. So we could change the arbitrary rules. So watch yourself, you motherfuckers. <laughs> and, and and that's the one that one uh, uh, argument I can see for uh, court packing to make the current Supreme Court check themselves too. So I want to say that I think while it is arbitrary, my big thing with a lot of stuff we talk about, but it's particularly this issue, is that I think people underestimate how much the idea of legitimacy matters. Like if you've ever played European Universalis or Crusader Kings, you know legitimacy. <laughs> but hey, all so you're talking to no one here. So, like, there are no members who played those games. But but in reality, like, government only has power because people believe it does, right? So people follow laws and courts uh, enforce laws and police enforce laws because people believe it's it's legitimate. I could go to the White House and sit in the chair and be like, I'm president, motherfuckers, follow my rules. And no one would because they're like, you have no legitimacy. You're just a guy in the White House. But institutions have legitimacy when people believe that they are real. The same way you'll hear about, you know, kings fighting over the throne and someone saying he's more legitimate. Um, the people generally will follow people that they believe deserve to have that position. And something like the Supreme Court has legitimacy because people believe it does. And if it really becomes an arbitrary thing where it goes to, to 12 and then to 15 and then to 18, eventually it's it stops mattering as an institution at all and that has no power at all. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? That's why uh, I would not support it now in our current political divisive environment. But back then, uh, during the Great Depression, FDR came in with popularity. Uh, Democrats took over Congress. And they're overhauling everything at the time. They're overhauling our economy, yeah. overhauling everything. Mm-hmm. I think at the time, it wasn't... Uh, uh, like, oh, it turned out FDR did overstep its bounds. But I don't think it's an insane notion when you have a wave of popularity to make this an issue. But in the current political climate and uh, the risks that eventually the uh, Republicans will, will come in and start swapping their own court nominees in and they'll be just uh, shelking. Not the risk. It, it would be... The, the inevitability, I should say. The inevitability. Yeah, inevitability. So, like, uh, it, I, 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 like, it would be the end of the court in general and we could we could debate of whether or not we need a Supreme Court. Um, yes. But, like, there, there's no there's no way that, that the institution survives... Uh, constant shuffling constantly. Of seats. Like, yeah. And, and if you believe, and, and like, yeah. you know, if you want to, like, Sly had a good point before, I think that a bigger Supreme Court could reduce the power of individual justices, which I think mm-hmm. we should encourage in American politics. Mm-hmm. We always should and have liked a more spread power. And mm-hmm. if you wanted to do that, like, that would be cool. But, you know, what would that be? A constitutional amendment where three fourths of the states. Yeah. That's why. Agree. That's another reason why. That's another reason why it should be a swath of approval too. You have to have at, at least a chance of a constitutional amendment. While there's zero chance of any kind of measure like that nowadays. Because yeah. that would that could be a potential thing in the future where three fourths of the states are like, yeah, we should have a twenty person Supreme Court, yeah. and we'll all agree to amend the constitution to say that. Yeah, and like if you're a progressive, you you probably believe eventually we'll win everything forever, and we'll usher in the age of progressivism anyway. <laughs> uh, and if you're like me, a, a pessimist, you'll believe that we're gonna have a great depression eventually, and maybe then we'll be able to rise up against our capitalist overlords. Uh, <laughs> but right now, uh, in our political climate, uh, too many people are white and comfortable and Republican for and partisan for uh, this to not just backfire on us. Like it might be like DACA, like uh, you might say, like if we pack the courts now, it might save a lot of court cases. 
But when DACA was overturned by Trump uh, very easily because it wasn't a set in stone thing, it endangered a lot of people that have signed up on DACA and put them on the chopping block. So you have to, it's easy to want the short term gains, but not only do you degrade the system, but you put more risks into uh, things get even, even worse too. All right, so we actually uh, just stepped over Daryl's segment. Sorry. Uh, oh no, you trampled it. Uh, this poor segment. We're packing the <laughs> discussion. Yeah, so I unfortunately, I wrote everything down beforehand. And what they said is very valuable. And I'm going to be like repeating some of it. Because um, I was looking into this for a while. I read five different articles about it. Like they had, there's three arguments pro, three against. And this was just like pretty big head scratcher because so much of this is hypotheticals on top of a hypothetical. Like if we win 2020, what will happen after that type of a deal? When we're like, we're, we don't even know what 2018 is going to bring. Yes. So getting into this, in order to pack the courts, we need a Democratic president and a majority in both the House and Senate, which is why like 2020 is our goal, not 2018. But people are advocating for the packing the courts argument because some believe it should be a campaign message similar to abolish ICE right now to help bring attention to the issue and to help normalize it so we're not so like afraid when it comes about, which is why you see like some people discussing it now. And there's a lot of arguments for it uh, like across the spectrum, both on the left and the right. But instead of bringing you a list of pros and then a list of cons like I had I wanted to do with this, I'm going to have to alternate between the arguments since so many of them tie into one another. The important thing to keep in mind is that there's a multitude of perspectives you can take on this issue from moral to historical to politically prudent to a worst case scenario standpoint, kind of like Sly. So the simplest and strongest argument for this is that we need to protect Roe v. Wade, the Affordable Care Act, public sector unions, same-sex marriage, environmental laws, etc. And on top of that, we need to form a stable bastion that will uphold any future widespread democratic legislation that we can create in 2020, like minimum wage laws, universal basic income, Medicare for all, free college tuition, gerrymandering fixing, like all, all this stuff. And it sounds pretty appealing when you think about it that like, can, we don't- Can I just say real quick that I'm like, yeah. that is such an unappealing argument to me, or not unappealing, but unconvincing because- you could say that exact same thing for like it would we could we could protect Roe v. Wade and the ACA if we had a, a, a dictator that was supporting those things. So I'm in favor of just abolishing all the public <laughs> uh, policy. Yeah, any any elections yep. where well, we and, have like Obama God Emperor exactly. in charge. It's like yeah, it, uh, he'd he'd uphold my policy and we just get rid of democracy in general. It's like uh... <laughs> the funny the funny thing is how many people would oppose God Emperor Obama? I don't know, <laughs> not a lot. I would. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't want any God Emperors. You'd be opposing him while Trump's taking power from everyone we can't go too far to the left guys no, i would oppose god emperor trump too but i'm saying it's well republicans are already doing this and consolidating power oh. you'd be like don't go too far left i bring that up because like a lot of a lot of the questions like democracy has like faded in a lot of these conversations it's all about how can we uh, win basically uh, mm-hmm. democracy hasn't just faded in conversation it's faded in a lot of parts of the world and it scares me like when I look at Europe and yes, I'm like, yes. I guess some countries are just get over it. They're like, let's go back to fascism. That's what happened in the fucking. Uh, well, I guess it's a different than World War Two. No, it's uh, not because some of those places were democracies before. Like, but like that's been that for a long time. Yeah, that's like, true. Like, They're not like, as like that's that's why that's why it's different. This is this is like the real experiment that people will still uh, find dictatorships enticing even after eras. Yeah, generations of democracy. Yes, like their parents, they go to their grandparents, and the grandparents are like, oh, back in my day, I used to vote, and they're like, fuck you, grandpa, God emperor for life. <laughs> oh my God, they probably happens for these like god emperor trump memers <laughs> yeah yeah so getting back to packing the courts uh from what i've read there's two main central problems with this which are consequence and intended application of which we'll discuss the former first so democrats packing the courts can and the important word being can because we're not certain what will happen usher in a number of disastrous consequences from this ranging from political to perceptional to legitimate all of which are linked together the first political is the easiest to understand by adding two more seats. We invite Republicans the next time they hold power to add or subtract two more seats, which begins this tug of war whenever one party is in power. There's essentially nothing you can do to stop them from passing all the legislation they want and then upholding it and striking down whatever they oppose. And so rebuttals to this are essentially like, hey, the Supreme Court has changed before and it, it hasn't ended America yet, which is more or less banking on the fact that like Republicans won't go really crazy after losing. Like I saw there was one person arguing that Republicans would not do this because they haven't done it in past instances. And I don't think that's convincing enough anymore. There are a lot of things that they're doing now in past instances. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> 
And yeah, there's also the argument that we should be doing this anyway, because the Republicans are already escalating and breaking norms by denying Merrick Garland the seat and pushing Kavanaugh through the confirmation before midterms. These arguments flow directly into the perception problem where the issue is that Democrats will be the new ones adding the judges the first time in roughly about 80 years. Quoting from an Atlantic article, law professor Richard Pilds has argued that FDR's failed initiative damaged the New Deal coalition beyond repair, drastically weakening Roosevelt's capacity in the following years to implement his domestic reform program. He concludes that one can read the 1937 experience and suggest that, for better or worse, judicial independence and authority of the court became so entrenched that even the most popular politicians play with fire, with court packing or a similar power play not to mention that if people see the court as illegitimate uh or not the perception is that this is not this is a steal like the democrats are stealing it that really invites people to just not follow their their rulings anymore too yes which i'll which i'll get to another optics related issue is that countries like poland hungary honduras venezuela and turkey have all used court packing as a means to secure power and make their government more autocratic which serve as important comparisons to keep in mind most of these countries are like dictatorships now Yeah, the rebuttal to this is that few would consider Lincoln adding a seat during the Civil War in order to preserve the Union as a move detrimental to American democracy. And similarly, we could, like, argue that we're not, like, packing it to the point where it's impossible to dethrone Democrats. We're just rebalancing it for Merrick Garland's lost seat and the Kavanaugh seat. Yeah, and uh, Lincoln's another example of what we well, suggested before that of in dire circumstances, people will overlook shit like that. Um, but I think people mm-hmm. still, rightfully so, talk about how a lot of the things he did during the war were very undemocratic. Like, he did that stuff because it was civil war and half the country, like, was in rebellion and we were killing each other. Yeah, but I, I literally never heard about any of this stuff until right now. So mm-hmm. it's not a very prominent discussion. I, I think people are more willing to overlook that stuff when it's a war time. I think, I think you're right. They're more willing to overlook it. But, you know, it, it is still like that was, a I think, a, a, a stain on democracy when you're like, I'm going to arrest people without trials. Just... But but we're getting to the point where we're having, like, we're encountering this issue with democracy itself that sometimes you might be needing to do democratic things to salvage the safety of minorities. And the flip side of this is, uh, this is what people always fear, like, what Bush and maybe Trump will do. That, like, oh, state of emergency, I'm president for life. Um, (laughs) uh, I rule everything, I'm a dictator. So, like, uh, you know, uh, people will say, I'm protecting democracy, like the fucking Aurelian shit. I'm protecting democracy by destroying democracy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's always a risk of that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like that's always, it's hard to convince people of that. Um, lastly, tying into the perception problem is that of a waning legitimacy of the Supreme Court. If the courts end up in a game of partisan tug of war and look less like impartial constitutional arbitrators, states could refuse to heed their authority. Yeah. Fox's Dylan Matthews states the Supreme Court has no army. Its authority rests on a thin reed of public acceptance and political forbearance. If it were to be weaponized in a court-packing scheme, its rulings might suddenly stop being obeyed. So Alabama could refuse to issue same-sex marriage licenses, and South Dakota could completely ignore Roe v. Wade. The pro-argument against this is that this was a weird one to read. Packing the corpse helps the legitimacy of it because m- more Americans are in favor of liberal social stances. And whereas sex offenders like Kavanaugh and Thomas presiding on the bench is already proof that the system is broken. Add to the fact that four justices have been appointed by two presidents that lost the popular vote. And that in the last 50 years, Republicans controlled the presidency 62% of the time, but appointed almost 80% of the judges. And it's looking more like following the rules gets us nowhere if we're... Uh, desiring a liberal America. The problem is, uh, you know, people always say, oh, on polls, more people are supporting of liberal positions. The problem is, uh, those are before they meet the enemy, and and then the enemy talks about, you know, these liberal justices, they're going to open borders and uh, allow terrorism into the country, and uh, I have enough Fox News, and almost every position gets um, demonized. And Yeah, uh, I, 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 you might be wrong about that. I think the problem is most Americans support these policies, but they're not the ones that are voting. And it's also, I wonder how many of them support it at the expense of what they see as a, the judicial branch as of government. Like, maybe 55% of people are, are support liberal policy, but how many of those people are like, I just, I would just destroy the Supreme Court for those but I, I just think about the Trump voters. Like, if you if you go with them uh, in the streets, I see interviews where they'll be like, "I support Medicare for all. I support this," and they'll say like, "Trump didn't vote for that at all." But I support my other issues, and that's probably because you know they watch Fox News 
and their family is always conservative. Like the culture, Trumps like obscures political issues very easily, and it's, it'll be very easy for the alt right and Fox News to color this as a bad thing, just like they color monotonous elections as horrible atrocities that the Democrats are going to overthrow the country and become a dictatorship. Hmm. Like like Obama, Obama was supposed to be the, uh, the coming of new. Uh, Nazi dictatorship, remember? Yeah, those yeah, days. he was uh, the Antichrist. Yeah, so like, if they, if they chose Obama, <laughs> a, a rather milquetoast uh, neoliberal, into a socialist uh, dictator, like you, you really can't underestimate how much the truth can be um, uh, marred, massaged, by, and, and massaged by and equivocated. Yeah, which is, gets into like why I was saying like the the optics problem. Where I'm like, I have no idea how we pack the courts and have it look like this is a progressive thing to like, independents or non like energized voters. If FDR couldn't do it, we couldn't do it in our current political climate. Yeah. Um, but getting back to, like, the the delegitimizing the Supreme Court, Washington Post contributor David Ferris says it may sound like doing all of this is part of an, the orgy of norm violation that has defined the past decade, but it would help reverse something even more threatening to our democracy, indefinite minority rule from, like, the Electoral College. And as more people go into, like, uh, cities, like, states with the biggest cities, like, what was it? By, like, 2040, yeah. 70% of people will be represented by 30 senators, I think. Yeah, uh, that's the whole problem of our entire government. Yeah. Uh, our electoral process, our senators, and now our judiciary, because every, pretty much everything stems to the fact that uh, only a handful of people, like, not a handful of people, but... Uh, l- smaller and smaller population of the country is deciding. Yeah, it's 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 decision. becoming more and more misrepresented as this huge demographic shifts to urbanization. Like the world was not this urbanized, so like mm-hmm. the system was just never designed to have seventy five percent of the people living within an hour of like a metro area, which which yep. now is becoming more and more of a thing. We're still a pretty. We're still not as urban as some countries. Like, I, I've told you guys in the past, like, a third of Greece lives in Athens, you know? Like, that's... There are some countries that are, like, really urban, but we're becoming more mm-hmm. and more like that, and the setup of the government is very, very much so to represent, like, regions. Yeah, it, it can't handle the changing demographics. And also the stagnation of the economy. Younger people move out of their uh, go-nowhere towns that rely on, like, coal and yeah. shit, and they go to the coast and go to Silicon Valley and somewhere in New York yeah, to... Yeah, that's uh, a good point. A lot of the economy has shifted away from rural industries in general like farming mm-hmm. is, be- is there are less farmers because they're bigger factory farm type stuff there are less coal miners yeah. because people are using like america is more of a service and tech country now than it ever was we have less farming yep. less manufacturing which all are city-based jobs like just the, the economy in the u.s is shifting towards industries that exist more in cities so people are moving there yeah we become like more entertainment industry yeah. oriented that's one thing i was inter- found interesting listening to one of the progressive candidates for uh west virginia i believe he talked about how he voted for trump in 2016 because when hillary came and talked about uh, training people for computer jobs he said like we don't have those jobs in west virginia all you're saying is uh, you're gonna train us for jobs and make us leave the country leave, leave the, the state and that's like insulting the level of disconnect that is and something to consider yeah now remember how i said that there's two problems with packing the courts one of consequence and one of intended application so the argument for the latter is that we need not go as far as packing the courts to get what we want one argument is that what this this is actually a dumb argument is that when we hold the white house congress and senate it may court packing unnecessary since we'll be able to pass a bunch of legislation that we want, especially in regard to like voting rights, which is like when you look at history, like the FDR was fighting against the courts for his like the stuff that he wanted. I think that's the rebuttal there. And additionally, this this uh, the writer of the article states that we have yet to see how Roberts is the new median votes with a conservative majority. <laughs> <laughs> So another possible compromise is to add, and I've seen this in a lot of places, term limits that eliminate the lifetime tenure of the Supreme Court so that it would be capped at 18 years. Though it would be harder to implement this than packing the courts since it requires an amendment, which requires two-thirds of the Senate. Um, and three, or three-fourths of the states. <laughs> yep. Perhaps Republicans would come to the table under the threat of court packing in order to implement this since it works both ways. More likely they'll be like, uh, you pull the trick, motherfucker, and you're going to enter a duel you won't want to get into. <laughs> Which is why I was, I was kind of thinking, too. I'm like, I don't think like this Republican Party is going to be like, we need to compromise. They're just like, let's keep riding this crazy train. Let's see how crazy What gets. is the idea behind... Okay, so you put term limits, which I'm not totally mm-hmm. against, but 
how does that help liberal policy get pushed? It's because now we won't have like Kavanaugh on the bench for forty years uh, or three years. It's not a lifetime appointment anymore. You yeah, won't have okay. because like uh, if Trump gets uh, let's say three more picks, uh-huh. and if he, and his first, like he has a chance for getting like, like maybe two, depending on when few certain senator uh, certain uh, judges retire. But let's say he gets a second term and he gets like six, and like those we're, the rest of our lives we're gonna be fucking ruled by these yeah. monsters. Yeah, yeah. Whereas like at least with an eighteen term, your limit. Like I saw a person describing it as that with 18 years and nine justices every two years you'd essentially have one retire so that you could pick a new one so every president will get two picks on the court i think on average they do already get two picks don't they i think if you look at presidential appointments uh every term well, well like i said in the last 50 years the republicans have gotten an overrepresented uh, yeah, amount of picks yeah, just, which yeah, is the like problem the- Okay. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely in favor of that then. Yeah, you need to get rid of like this the weird gambling of whether or not someone's going to die or right. retire and try and resort it back to an even amount of like pickings because that's why like I think a lot of us are getting frustrated. Yeah, and I, I can definitely support that. I, you know, less limit. <laughs> slide, slide, slide away. Um, am, I, am I here? <laughs> You're yelling. So loud. <laughs> you got so loud. I'm sorry. Uh, um, I am almost always in favor of limiting power up so term limits i could get behind yep and if we wanted to this person argued that well we're in this hypothetical scenario where we're telling republicans we're gonna pack the courts unless you agree with what we want he said that we can uh say that neil gorsuch must resign from the seat too <laughs> that, that's uh, not gonna happen yeah that's a nice fancy we- land but, uh, we could also insist that we go back to a 60 vote threshold for Supreme Court nominees in order to stop like the hyperpartisan picking. Mm-hmm. And the only other things I read, it was interesting from an Atlantic article where it was arguing against packing the courts that goes more towards what you were saying, Phil, is they were saying that if anything, we should be talking about ways to reduce the Supreme Court power, such as enabling the term limits and instating a supermajority voting requirement in judicial review of legislative enactments that's interesting which i thought was interesting. interesting yeah the idea of like holding republicans hostage once you have all the power essentially mm-hmm. is like inviting them to do that to you too though like then we have a republican white house and congress and they're like well uh we're gonna pack the courts unless you blah 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 unless you yeah. but i mean we've already gotten like i feel like screwed over so much of this stuff where it's like trump and the wall funding where he's like you need to support the wall and we'll support daca and then he pulls out daca and then just like screws us anyway like if we're already getting screwed by republicans i think the argument is why not go low too i think that uh, makes me hesitant is, is that like we had a bad point but like uh, uh I, people underestimate how bad things can really get yeah that's what uh, I think, like like they like, could screw pretty hard, and they have not as much as they could have. Yeah, when I say uh, other countries have more judges, to be in China, the Supreme Court is like two hundred, uh, like three hundred almost. Uh, so like, um, we could like pack it by like, twenty, and then they'll be like, okay, we're gonna have a whole overhaul of the Supreme Court system, each shit Democrats, and have like fifty. Who knows? Uh, they could make a shit, but we can never win ever again. Or maybe they could just filibuster every time they control, and we never get a nomination ever again. Like you, you have no idea what's possible in the future. It it seems it sounds weird to hear you arguing for this, like trying to take the nicer approach. Slide. I'm not saying I'm not like... saying take the nicer approach. I'm saying wait because they're eventually going to fuck themselves overreach. Like probably when next time uh, Democrats in office, for them it's a zero sum game for power. And they'll never really want more and more. Like they, they were so offended at the idea that Obama will get a second Supreme Court pick that they 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 did unprecedented thing and stopped him. I feel they'll do the same. Like with the idea that uh, Democrats do anything to get uh, uh, nominations themselves, and they, they'll probably uh, pull buzz the next one. And all they've done ever since the seventies is overreach and overreach. And so people think like this is this is the nadir and. We'll fight them back and things get better. But in reality, things can get a lot worse. And uh, I guess it is weird because I'm kind of arguing the high ground. Not this. That's what I'm saying. Is it sounds like to you, we let them keep a conservative majority and you just like them's the breaks. But, we have to but here's the question. ensure our norms. Is, is this just like, it's not just like I want to take the nicer road because I'm a better person. It's pra- It's pragmatic to... Yeah. To not just be like fuck the whole system, fuck if, me. Because if, uh, if if we're just if, if, is it though pragmatic when it's like the electorate that elected Donald Trump is like that. But thing is, <laughs> the thing is like so like again, it's down to my opinion on stuff like Obama's federal actions. First of all, 
when you have a temporary solution, it negates the need for a long-term solution. Uh, DACA, when DACA was enacted, it didn't any talk for a pathway citizenship. That, that became the only talk for a pathway citizenship. And now it is used as a bargaining chip for every single debate uh, Democrats have. And, put, and mm-hmm. it's a horrible position to, to put uh, de- uh, people in to have that be a bargaining chip. And uh, that's one example of what I mean by you, you, in the moment you think you're going to win, but a temporary solution is not going to really solve anything. If the, if the situation is if the situation is unsolvable, then you're not going to solve it by being the first to break it. Like if the Republicans pack the courts first, then we'll then we'll pack the courts back and we have a justification for it. But if we pack it first, we'll, we'll it'll be like uh, McConnell ending the filibuster on Supreme Court nominees. We that's not an example. We fucked ourselves on that. Uh, before uh, Harry Reid, Harry Reid, yeah, Harry, Harry Reid, leader of Democrats during Obama's term, he ended the filibuster on Supreme Court nominees, saying, "Well, we'll be in office forever. We will win." He got rid of it, and that's why Gorsuch got through easily. That's why Kavanaugh got easily. If those rules were still in place, as much as he fucked Obama with uh, Merrick Garland, mm-hmm. if those rules were in place now, we wouldn't have Kavanaugh and we wouldn't have Gorsuch. But we thought we we're going to pull the first uh, strike on these ra- these uh, radical changes, and we ended up getting fucked over it. And and and. Like we, th- we in the moment we always say we're going to win, but you'd be surprised how fucked you can get. But what happens when we do win? No, but like, shouldn't we try here's, it? Here's here's my thing about that. Going back to the idea of legitimacy, what use is it to win? I'm putting this. I'm doing air quotes that you can't see. To win mm-hmm. and pass a bunch of laws that people don't feel are legitimate. Government and laws and all of this shit is arbitrary, made up stuff that we say and people follow. And if everyone just feels like it's a joke, people don't follow it. Because they don't care. Because they don't think it's real. They don't think it's legitimate. It doesn't have binding to their lives. But it's not like we're passing laws. It's like, we're all bird people now. It's like, hey, let's pass something that's like free college tuition that people will actually use. And then what happens when the first state is like, this is bad joke Congress and joke Supreme Court. Fuck you. I'm yeah. not doing it. Like we had we had uh, people. We have people talk about secession during Obama's term. Like if, say like any like a regulation happens that infringes on like Alabama state's rights. Alabama's like, fuck it. We're not going to follow it. And what, what's but then uh, does the army move in and invade Alabama? Like, uh, that's what I mean. And, and how many of those soldiers are going to be like, I just saw the Democrats put 20 justices in the Supreme yeah. Court. I'm going to go yeah. invade <laughs> Alabama because they're not following what, it. What, what about not 20, but two? How many soldiers are, are how many soldiers are me heads, jock guys, who are like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't approve of uh, liberal Democrats anyway. I want to go with Alabama. And like, uh, we've had, like, we've been in such a comfortable, steady uh, system because we were born into it. But if we lived in other countries, we probably wouldn't uh, take a uh, legitimate, stable government for granted as much. Yeah, it's really one of those things that, like, the, the majority of countries that are constantly flipping government types, having dictators rise to power, civil war, is because those governments never have a, a level of legitimacy that lets the people feel like, like, I feel like I should follow these laws and follow the government. It's most of the time people are like, this government's been in power for three years, five years, ten years. Fuck them. I'm going to take over or I'm just going to do my own thing and make my province or state is just going to do what it wants. And if the federal troops want to move in and fight me, they can. But they don't because they're just like not, you know, you know what I'm saying? Legitimacy is such a big thing that that Americans, I think, underestimate because we've had we've gotten, like Sly said, so accustomed to it because we're such a long standing government. And I know I've said this before. A lot of people are like, oh, America's young, but like not in terms of our government. I think for me, what stops them from feeling it's not legitimate when we next have like liberal people in charge. And then because we're in an age where people just assume like where information isn't being disseminated properly. The the thing is like, uh, I agree. The people will uh, question legitimacy of a liberal president. That's why when I got got mad at Phil before next episode about him saying, oh, only China, only going to go to China, stuff like that, because it, it brings it brings up to mind a truth that I was un- uncomfortable with admitting. But the liberals inherently do have less social consent, which is why they have to feel conservative, because they have to conform to existing pillars of power, including the military, including business leaders, and Republicans have that naturally. So uh, we're always walking on eggshells, and and mm-hmm. you're always risking, uh, like Obama, like with Obama, that you'll be considered socialist, and uh, any action you take will be considered far-reaching and. Yep. Dictatorial, and you can't do anything. You're you're hampered by this far, this far right movement. But taking a direct action when you don't have the consent of the people in power is basically asking for political suicide. Like you basically like that risks the Democrats being wiped up entirely when the military and the business leaders revolt against our actions. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I still don't believe that two justices is gonna. I'm not sure. Create I, another I, civil I, war. I'm not sure two would. Two, 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 two. <laughs> it, it's it's hard to so hard to gauge because one I could I could see you arguing 
two might be too much. Like, I think you can argue for a Merrick, Gar- a Merrick Garland replacement. I mean, maybe we'll see when Trump gets like another pick. In a, <laughs> and it also depends too on the mes- on the messaging of it too. Like, are you just like I get elected as a Democrat next candidate, and I'm like, uh, fuck Republicans, I'm getting another seat. I, like, you really have to message it a certain way if you're really trying yeah. to get people on well, board. Well, that, that's why people are saying that we should talk about it now and we need to structure in a way that this is, like, a productive thing moving forward because, again, we're facing a minority rule from certain states in the country, like, basically dictating who becomes our president. That that's already undemocratic, so we need to counterbalance it with something that also seems undemocratic. Supreme well. Court also ruled on our president when George W. Bush became president, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I always... Yeah, see, and it, it's, it's stuff like that where you're going to be, you're, you guys are going to be sitting there obeying laws so much all the time while we're putting children in cages. But, but, but the reason why Electoral College, like people were expecting Electoral College to rebel because on paper it should be against somebody like Trump, but in reality, Trump has the consent of the business leaders, which is why he won. As, as much mm-hmm. as it sucks to admit, like Republicans by default are just uh, so firm that they're going to be pro-business, pro-tax cuts, and pro-military that they inherently have the consent of all these pillars of power. Every person in power, the Supreme Court, the Electoral College, are all like, we have to, we want the Republicans to win, so we're going to tweak the rules as much as possible to make that happen. Yeah. And that's our yeah. political system. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's been our podcast. Let us know what you think about packing the courts and whether or not these arguments were persuasive or you feel like you disagree or you feel like you really agree. And then we'll laugh about it in 2020 when like we're in a crazy different mindset. When yeah. we, we're, we're all like, like, we should be packing like we're all, everything. We're all getting ready for military um, armament against the bourgeoisie. Yeah, or we have 35 Supreme Court justices. Every state is in a state of rebellion. And we're in New York being like, hope we don't die. Yeah. And if you're right, Lynch, you can bitch at us for not being optimistic enough and being... Yeah, we won't need to pack the courts because everyone will wake up tomorrow and say, I love everyone else. I will share all my things with them. Yeah, I will become liberal. (laughs) Okay, that's been our podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, Subscribe to our whatever we subscribe. Yeah, go on the Facebooks and look for Oops, I Talk Divisive Issues. We have a Facebook page, the Flying Machine Network. There's something, Flying Machine, check out check that out just look just click on a random podcast and see where where it takes you that's been our podcast i've been for some reason arguing against the more revolutionary action i've been fudged back in the courts i've been shit you've been shit Stay continuity. He has been shit yeah i mean looks like in the podcast whatever (laughs) i don't know if it's buffed or boofed how do you pronounce that Flatulence. Mm.